let's begin our lesson. <clears throat> oh, that's the truth. Thank you. At 87 years old, you keep forgetting things like that. I wasn't reared in the age of technology. And if I want to ask, if I want to find out something about technology, I ask a teenager. <laughs> in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, we find a list of the great Bible heroes of faith. In fact, in verses uh, 4 through 31, there are nine Bible heroes of faith, people who have suffered terribly, who have gone through agonizing experiences, and yet who came out victorious because of their faith. And uh, so here we find uh, a list of people, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And what does he say about them? Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fiery uh, flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in, body, in battle, and routed foreign armies. That's a mouthful. When we think about uh, administering justice and conquering kingdoms and quenching the fire of the furnace and all of those things, we say, yes, Lord, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be like those heroes of faith. And then we read in verses 35 to 38, women received back their dead, received to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might receive a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned and they were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Then we said, when we find out where our faith may lead us, Lord, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. That's a different matter. Conquering kingdoms and escaping the edge of the sword and doing those wonderful things by the power of God through faith is a wonderful and exciting thing to think about, but when you realize where our faith may lead us, then that's a different matter. We have to consider the consequences. We talked about Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus this morning in the men's class. And uh, he had persecuted Stephen, and then when Ananias came to him and baptized him into Christ, Ananias was uh, informed by Jesus himself in a vision that he was a chosen vessel for me. He will learn how he will have to suffer for my sake. 
There is suffering in the future among God's people. In fact, we experience some kind of ostracism and criticism and mockery and so forth, even now in our secular society. But the, the end is not yet. We have to at least consider the possibility the time is coming when we will have to pay the ultimate price for our faith. Are we ready for that? Well, this is something we need to think about. Then in verses 39 and 40, we come to a very strange and puzzling, amazing statement that is difficult to understand. So difficult we sometimes read right over it without really understanding what the point is that God is trying to make to us. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says. These Bible heroes were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God planned something better for us. So that not only together with us would they be made perfect. What is he trying to say? I think he's trying to say that we are partners with the prophets and all the heroes of the faith in chapter 11 when we participate in the mission of God. God called the prophets to predict the coming of Jesus Christ and to prepare the world for his coming. And when we, uh, they didn't receive, by the way, the promise that God gave Abraham when he said, through you and your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That is the promise that the Jews talked about regularly. And they did not receive it. They received the promises God gave to them individually. That's what he said earlier on in the chapter. But they had not received the promise of God through Abraham that his seed, Jesus Christ, would bless all nations. And so the prophets didn't receive it. Heroes of the faith in the Old Testament didn't receive it because they died before the promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But we have been recipients of the promise that God gave Abram. And we are enjoying the benefits of the coming of the Messiah. And through the Messiah, we have forgiveness of our sins that we talked about at the Lord's Supper this morning. And through the Messiah, we have a commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who is, uh, believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he who does not believe shall be condemned. So that's the promise that God gave us, that we would be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of our sins, and that we would be commissioned to fulfill the eternal purposes of God that are in Christ Jesus. So the thing the apostles, uh, excuse me, the prophets and the Old Testament heroes of faith were involved in has been extended through us. It's an ongoing process. The eternal will of God from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, is being fulfilled through us. So I'm wondering how we 
how, we, how seriously we're taking our uh, ministry and mission that God has given us as a part of his eternal plan. So when we support WEI, by the way, for the benefit of our visitors, WEI is an acronym for World English Institute. And God is using WEI as one of the most effective tools for a world evangelism that I know about, and I claim no credit. All glory to him. And uh, he is using the World English Institute English courses to attract students, and he's using the World English Institute Bible courses to lead people to Christ. And those of you who have been teaching and who are teaching, your WEI students are fulfilling the very thing that we're talking about. You're a part of God's eternal plan. You are sowing the seed and bringing the world to Christ. And this is just one tool that God has provided for world evangelism. Then we come to chapter 12. Chapter 12 begins with the word, therefore. And that means that this is a continuation of chapter 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our faith in comparison with the faith of those in chapter 11. For who, by the way, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, that is the joy of our salvation, the fulfillment of his mission, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God on the throne, uh, sat down at the right hand of God. So remember that these Christians to whom this letter was written had not seen these Old Testament heroes any more than we have. All of the people that we read about in chapter 11 had been dead long ago when this letter was written. So, uh, he's saying to us, as he said to those people in New Testament times, we have a cloud of witnesses that are encouraging us just as those people did in the book of Rome and the book of Hebrews. Think about the people who've gone on before you, the righteous loved ones that you have said goodbye to who have gone on to their reward, people who have run the race successfully, who have crossed the line, the finish line, and who have won the crown that Jesus has promised us when we're faithful to the end. So uh, think about those people. All of these Old Testament heroes, all of the prophets, all of the people that you've loved and who've gone on before you, 
are encouraging you. They're the cloud of witnesses that are encouraging you and, and cheering you on as you run the race. John Smith tells a story of the time he went to a cross-country race in Lubbock, Texas. There was a young woman that uh, was uh, his friend's daughter who was in the race. He said hundreds of athletes showed up for the race, male and female. And all these relatives and friends of the racers, the people who were involved in the race, were there to cheer them on. And they were standing along the edge. The, of course, they, the finish line was the same place that the beginning of the race uh, took place. And so they, all these friends and loved ones were there waiting for the, the people that they were cheering on to get there in time, you know, where they could say, run, run, run. Well, um, John Smith was telling about this young girl that he was watching, and as she approached the finish line, she began to falter. Uh, her leg uh, muscles began to cramp. She was out of breath. She was almost totally exhausted because a cross-country race is a grueling race. The boys uh, ran, uh, the girls ran five kilometers over the hills and through the valleys and through rough terrain and all that. And the boys ran eight kilometers. And so this girl was totally exhausted when she was approaching the finish line. And she began to falter, almost fell to the ground because she was so exhausted. When all of a sudden, a 40-year-old woman in high-heeled shoes, carrying a purse, ran out to meet her and said, run, Tammy, run, Tammy, run. And all of a sudden, this girl gathered her energy and she began to run and the mother and daughter ran across the finish line together. And when they crossed the finish line, the girl just fell into her mother's arms, and they both fell down on the grass together, and they laughed together, and they cried together as though they were the only people in the world, and they weren't aware that other people were watching at all. So what's the difference? Here's a girl that was about to say, I quit. I can't do this anymore. But when her, she heard her mother's voice cheering her on, saying, run, Tammy, all of a sudden she gathered new energy. So what can we learn from that illustration? We learn that we need to encourage each other. We talked about Barnabas this morning in the men's class. And he was a man of encouragement. He was the one that introduced Saul of Tarsus to the people in Jerusalem when they were suspicious and could not believe that this persecutor of the church became a preacher of the gospel, which he did. And it was because of Saul, uh, Barnabas that Saul of Tarsus became Paul, the Apostle Paul. Partly anyway, because he was the one, Barnabas was the one who went to Tarsus and got Saul and brought him back to Antioch, and both of them worked together to build up the church in Antioch. So we need encouragement. All of us need encouragement. We need to encourage one another and build each other up in the faith. You know, I've forgotten to use this thing. 
I get to preaching and I forget all about this thing. Well, let's go on. <laughs> Here's the girl. This, was, this scripture was read earlier today, so I won't need to read it, but Paul was tempted and tried like you and I are. We may think that Saul, that Paul the Apostle was a hero of faith. He had no weaknesses. Paul the Apostle had the same kind of temptations you and I have. And he had to discipline himself. And he had to be determined and uh, dedicated to what he was doing, what God had called him to do in order to accomplish his ministry, his mission in life. We all need to exercise the same kind of discipline and dedication and commitment that the Apostle Paul had. He was a man just like you and I. Uh, he was a human being, I should say, because uh, I can't see that the women are just like the Apostle Paul. But we're all Christians, and we all are human beings. We have the same kind of temptations that Paul, the apostle, had. The thing is, Jesus finished the race. On the cross, he said, it is finished. I think you mentioned that this morning. The author of Hebrews said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We look to him as our model, the man who has shown us the way and how to run the Christian race successfully. And Jesus emptied himself of his divine, eternal prerogatives as a divine being, gave all that up, became a human being, suffered just as we suffer, was tried in the same way as we are tried. And yet he succeeded. He crossed the finish line. As a man, he experienced trials and struggles, just as we do. He felt joy and he felt sorrow, just as we do. He knew every success and every failure that we know. He felt abandoned, even in his most critical hour in the Garden of Gethsemane, his followers left him and ran away and left him to stand alone against his enemies. He felt grief. One of his best friends died and was buried in a tomb. He was lonely, he was misunderstood, he was ridiculed, he was falsely accused, and he was crucified as a criminal even though he was perfect in every way. Jesus finished the race. He came out of the grave and he returned to the Father and he sat down at the Father's right hand and he's intervening along with the Spirit for us, his followers, is giving us the encouragement we need. He's joining his voice with all of the prophets of the Old Testament, all those heroes of the faith. 
and cheering us on, saying, run. Walter Payton was probably the greatest football player who's ever lived. As you know, in American football, one team is trying to carry the football or get it across the finish line, or the goal line in this case. And the other team, the opponent, is trying to keep them from getting the ball across the goal line. During his professional career as a running back, Walter Payton carried the ball nearly nine miles. That's an average of nearly five yards per carry. And that's an amazing statistic because those guys on the defensive line are bruisers. They're big and they are dangerous to run into. But that means that Walter Payton was knocked down 3,358 times during his career. But Walter Payton is not in the Hall of Fame because he was knocked down 3,358 times. He's in the Hall of Fame because he got up 3,358 times. And Jesus got up. And he's calling us to get up when we get knocked down. Satan is trying to knock us down. Satan is trying to dissuade us from running the Christian race. Satan is saying, quit. You can't do this. It's a waste of time. You don't have the energy. You don't have the talent. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. And Jesus, on the other hand, saying, run. I've made you perfect through my blood. We've celebrated the Lord's Supper today and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. That means we're perfected and we're able to face God and Jesus even introduces us to God according to Romans 5.1 and says, Father, now this is my reading of it anyway, Father, this is, and he calls you by name and says, this is my follower. Be good to him or her because I have cleansed them of sin. So Satan is trying to destroy us. And he's trying to say what Hitler said to Churchill. Surrender. Or I will beat you into subjection. And we need to say to Satan, I will fight you on my job. I will fight you in my home. I will fight you on my feet. I will fight you on my knees. I will never surrender. I will never give up. And with God's help, he will help us cross the finish line. And the best is yet to come when we do. So Jesus came out of the tomb he returned to the Father. He sat down at the Father's right hand and he's interceding for us today. In closing, I would like to quote an old American song and it goes like this. 
Just look for me at the pearly gate. You won't have time uh, long to wait. I'll surely prepare to meet you there. Just look for me at the gate. Satan is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Jesus is saying, run, you can do it. Don't give up. I'm with you. The Spirit of God is in you. Persevere. Keep running until you cross the finish line. I'll meet you at the gate. I promise you one thing, no matter how far we are apart, no how many miles separate us, no matter what Satan does to us, no matter what problems we may have, I'll run with you in the race to the finish line, and I'm hoping you will never stop running the race as well, because I'll be waiting for you at the gate if I go before you do, and that's a strong possibility in most cases. <laughs> <laughs> so we love you with the love of the Lord I'm praying for you in this congregation every one of you individually as you run the Christian race and approach the finish line where you'll find glory beyond expression beyond imagination glory in heaven where God is and where Jesus is at his right hand where he's waiting to come and take you home at the end of time. So there may be someone who's ready to give your life to Jesus and start running the Christian race because you know the destiny is glorious if you just run the Christian race. If you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, which is very basic in the New Testament, and if you see yourself as a sinner hopelessly lost, in need of a Savior, wanting to be forgiven for all the past sins. Satan is saying, look what you were. If you're just baptized into Christ, you repent of sins and turn your life over to the Lord and give your whole life to Jesus, you'll be baptized into Christ, into his death, raised to walk in newness of life, similar to the life that Jesus lived, and our life is being transformed by his Spirit into the likeness of Jesus Christ himself transforming us into God's likeness. And as we grow in spirit, he who began a good work in us will complete it the day of Jesus Christ. He will transform us one degree of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we will be more and more like Jesus as time goes by. By the time we finish the race, he'll be ready to come and take us home to glory.